grief is a process and one of the goals an important goal of children's grief camp is to have the children comfortable of the grief process because it's an ebb and flow you know and even children can be happy during the grieving process and that's okay so the grief education part is important so they can understand whatever they're feeling is not right or wrong whatever they're feeling it just is that's their feelings and it's okay Welcome to another episode of Catacomb Social Club. I'm your host, Jeremy, and here we explore new perspectives on life, death, dying, and the dead. Please like, share, and subscribe to support. Uh, you could learn much, much more about the show at catacombsocialclub.com. Now, welcome to episode number two. Today's guest is Suzanne Capra. We'll be talking about children's grief camp, how nonprofit farms have the potential to mentally and physically evolve their communities, tips for talking to your loved ones and children about grief, and so, so much more. Before I get started, I want to talk about catacombculture.com. This is where I sell my sculpture. My sculptures being functional home decor that I create out of hyper-realistic human bones that I also make. From human bone lamps to food-safe skull bowls, I make a lot of momentum more friendly pieces that serve as reminders that we all have limited lifespans, uh, so let's make the best of the time we have left. Explore my bone gallery at catacombculture.com. Also, restingground.org. This site will guide you in exploring alternative post-life care for your deceased body. Your deceased body has the potential to literally save lives, advance multiple fields of science, and so much more. So learn more at restingground.org. Now let's meet Suzanne and explore new perspectives on life, death, dying, and the dead. Today, we are here with Suzanne Capral. She's a development and marketing professional, as well as the founder of Children's Grief Camp at Hillside Farms in Dallas, Pennsylvania, as well as a keynote and TEDx presenter. She is also an advocate for animal-assisted therapies and so much more. Welcome to the catacomb, Suzanne. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. How are you this evening? Good, good, good. Enjo enjoying the quarantine here. <laughs> Interesting times throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the details that I kind of breezed over in the intro. Well, yeah, sure. I, I would love to do that. I mean, you and I had the, the pleasure of meeting a few weeks ago when we were both TEDx speakers for TEDx Scranton, and that was pretty awesome and exciting. Um, basically, what I spoke about in my TEDx presentation kind of catapults me to, to where I'm sitting today talking to you, and that was about a children's grief camp that I developed uh, several years ago at Hillside Farms. And what was unique about this program, it's an animal-assisted farm-based therapy for children who have experienced trauma in their life, be it the death of a loved one through illness, accident, murder, or suicide. Um, we also have children who are in the foster care system for, you know, due to neglect or abuse. But the interesting thing about this program at Hillside Farms is um, I grew up surrounded by addiction in my family as, as a little girl. And Hillside Farms was my escape and it was my safe haven when I was a little girl. That's where I used to go to escape. And I would hang out in nature and I would hang out with the farm animals. And that was significant. Um, in a way, I kind of started my own self-initiated animal-assisted therapy and nature-based therapy. 
So when I had the opportunity decades later to return to Hillside Farms, um, it was just it was just a natural occurrence that we would develop a children's grief camp because I wanted to find a way where this farm that helped me heal as a young girl and a young adult actually uh, could help other children who were hurting. Oh, that sounds awesome. Um, here, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Hillside Farms is? Uh, I personally, I know it's in Dallas, Pennsylvania. It's uh, it's a pretty big mom pa kind of farm. <laughs> it sells wonderful uh, milk, fresh milk, or yes. ice cream, pies, ice cream. cookies. Yeah, it's it's quite a remarkable place. Um, Hillside Farms is in Luzerne County. And um, actually it traces its roots back to 1881 um, for, for the majority of the time it belonged to the Cunningham family. And it was just this remarkable, remarkable farm, hundreds and hundreds of acres. In um, 2005, it became actually a nonprofit. So the Cunningham mm -hmm. family was very generous to allow this nonprofit organization purchase the farm as a community entity. So it's not like one person owns it. Because it's a 501c3, the community actually owns it. And mm -hmm. Hillside was developed as a nonprofit to teach healthy, more sustainable ways of living. And that's the whole premise of the farm. So it is a teaching farm. Um, it's an active dairy farm. Um, there's also incredible chickens that are true pastured. And it's all about healthy local foods real food um as well as an incredible teaching opportunity there are there are children there are students all from k all the way up past university levels that come to the farm um, they learn about biology and history and math the sciences it's just a remarkable place so so we think of it more as a 412 acre outdoor classroom where it is tactical you you use your hands as well as your brain and all of your senses to learn, um, like I said, about, about all the disciplines that I just mentioned. So it, it is a remarkable place. And again, since it's a 501c3 nonprofit, it truly belongs to the people. It belongs to everyone. Mm. That's really powerful. Um, <laughs> the way I learn best is what you just described is um, a full immersion, uh, being able to work with something, make mistakes with something, being hands-on with something. Um, so that's fantastic that that community owned place is actually bringing that learning experience regarding such a such an important world of sustainable living and sustainable agriculture which is so opposite to the industrial farms and industrial agriculture mm -hmm. Absolutely. really cool it sure is it sure is and you know there's something about um knowing your farmer you know, we mm -hmm. say, know your farmer, know your food. And, you know, our food that, that comes from Hillside Farms does traceability. And what we mean by that is we know where the food comes from. And so whether you're buying the hydroponic lettuce that we get from a local farmer or any of the dairy products, the eggs, of course, plus so much more, you can trace it back to the source. So as much as possible, the farm resells food items as well as artisans and candles and soaps that are made by local small businesses and and that's kind of you know mm. what's going to keep us going is reinvesting back into our communities yeah so they actually so it sounds like it's actually sort of a hub or a marketplace for 
like you said, like local businesses creating different products to sell mm -hmm. through there? Yeah, and it's really oh. cool. We have we have a dairy store and a mercantile, okay, but then we also have the whole education aspect. So we have our, our educator on staff and, and you know her staff and you know so they work hands on with the students, with the adults that come and we you know we have something going on all the time at the farm and everything is is focused on teaching. So you know what even we do our sheep shearing in the in the springtime. You're, you're learning about gentle sheep shearing that's done by hand and you know then the wool from the sheep is taken and it's cleaned and it's stretched and that's made into product and then wow. that's sold and it's the same thing with the alpacas so again it kind of goes back to showing individuals everything comes from the earth and that's what we teach the little ones coming all the way up to to the adults everything that we put in or on our body comes from the earth and we really need to respect not only the earth but the earth's critters as well mm. well said that that was perfect <laughs> so i speak from the heart because i believe in the mission so deeply mm, mm. let's paint a picture of uh, hillside farms for the audience here um you mentioned alpacas chickens cows sheep uh, what kind of other programs do you offer at Hillside Farms? Okay, so basically, in addition to um, the the school programs and all the programs that that is offered at school at Hillside Farms meets Pennsylvania education standards. So you know whether you're in a school or no matter where charter school, cyber school, there are standards you have to meet. All of our programs meet those standards. So you can learn also, in addition to the history and the math, the biology, the science, et cetera, how to make butter, how to make ice cream, how to, um, you know, how to spin wool. Um, we have an incredible museum. We have this, we call it the Museum. Um, Leadership Books Fair many years ago was one of their projects came and they just redid this barn. Now you gotta, like, you gotta picture this because the barns go back to the 1800s. This farm was founded in 1881. So we have barns um, that predate the Civil War, you know, because these barns were standing before this became the family farm from the Cunningham family. And so the history itself is phenomenal. You can spend a week there just getting the history lessons and seeing the workmanship on the knobs and, and the brackets and everything on the building. So that's just, that's incredible. And, and we just, we, we're all about restoration too. New buildings are cool and they look beautiful, um, but there was recently a, a an extension put onto the dairy store that came from two barns um, from the Back Mountain, the Back Mountain area in Luzerne County. So that would be Shavertown, Dallas area. And those barns, the wood from those barns date back 300 years, the wood, some of the wood, some of the trees. So could you imagine what those trees witnessed like it's just incredible so when you walk in to any place at hillside it's truly an experience because you are standing and living history and uh that's pretty phenomenal so 
um, you know, a lot of our events currently are going to be put on hold because of what's going on with the pandemic, but they're just going to be pushed back. Nothing's going to be canceled. So again, um, learning how to make the cheeses and learning how to make the butter and coming to the sheep shearing and, you know, all of the educational events that we're having, the lectures that we're having, how to have backyard chickens, you know, things that you can do at home or that you could do with your family that take you towards a more sustainable life. And that's what it's all about. And I think now, especially um, getting back to our roots and really understanding the importance and the critical value of the basics is, is a lesson that um, I think we need to heed, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, personally, I recently got a, a mushroom kit two mushroom kits one for oh. like oyster mushrooms one for lion's mane and uh finally today our last show we we're talking about like oh the oysters they, they weren't working out but today i started seeing some oysters start blooming start growing but yeah the lion's mane's in like full mode it's it's looking very it's very cool promising watch it and it's so cool because you grew that i mean you can actually see it right. come from the earth yeah. And I think when you, you see the most sustainable thing anybody could do, and one thing that's taught at Hillside Farms, the most sustainable thing you could do is have a backyard garden. Even if you have a few tomato plants and maybe you have some beans and the lettuce is so easy to grow, but you know, there you are, you are tending your food, you know, and, and you're seeing where it comes from. It's an incredible lesson for children as well. But you know, that's where the sustainability comes in, you mm. know, is, is actually understanding where your food comes from as well as respecting the earth. And I think that's, that's a big lesson as well. But I love the mushroom things. Yeah, we have, we have people, um, you know, the farm right now is 412 acres. So that's a yeah. lot of area. And oh, sometimes yeah. we see, you know, the mushroom pickers like kind of walking around a little bit to see what they can find because it's, it's a prime, a lot of woods and a lot of pathways and, and beautiful streams. So yeah, you get a lot of people taking advantage of the land itself, you know, and that's, that's one thing that, you know, we, we still try to get the message out because we will get calls. Well, do I need to call the owner? Who's the owner? And do I need the owner's permission? And it's like, you're part of the owner, you know, this is part of your farm too. And, and as such, you know, you're invested in this farm, you're invested in this area. So, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. Before the show, we were talking about keyword research and whatnot, marketing yeah. stuff. And uh, yeah, fun fact, I was on Google Trends tool a couple days ago. And one thing I noticed was within once this pandemic started, I want to say from uh, end of February to currently the current month of uh, like end of March here, uh, 2020. Um, yeah, the keywords, how to grow a garden was one mm. of the most searched terms in Google within this time frame. Very, yeah, so a lot of people are definitely waking up and uh, looking to be more self-sustainable, without a doubt. Absolutely, sure, and that, that's key. And, and another thing that I believe personally is important is um, smaller farms, and I understand that, you know, smaller farms are not necessarily doable everywhere but wherever possible, especially in Pennsylvania. You know, when anybody comes to Hillside Farms, you know, you could go up to the dairy barn and say thank you to the herd because that's where the milk comes from. 
And it's the same thing with the eggs that are sold in the dairy store. You know, you can, you know, go over to the pasture chickens and say, thank you because that's where where they you know where the eggs come from they come from the pastured chickens and you know one thing um that we're experiencing right now and especially with the big rush everybody going for food um we don't have the egg production right now and the reason we don't have the egg production is because it's still technically the winter months you know even though it's spring it's still the the, the chickens have not ramped up and we don't starve our hens and we don't we make sure that they have plenty of water we make sure that they have plenty of darkness so they could sleep we don't force molt so they continue to produce in the winter time which is unnatural and it's stressful for the birds and the birds get burned out well we don't do that so the egg production naturally goes down in the darker months and and it's it's great because our customers understand that and not only do they understand it they appreciate it because they get it that this is because um, it's the most humane way to do this if you're going to farm. So is your is the market there still open? Like, are you still open for business selling yes. local goods? Yes, we are because we sell the milk and we sell, you know, the dairy, the milk, the butter, the cream, et cetera, um, the eggs every day. We have dried soups. So we do have several food items that people come to. Now, you know, there was a rush two weeks ago. It was just, it was crazy busy, like any other store. And now there's more of a steady stream coming in, not as it normally would be, but we still have a steady stream of, of loyal customers who come in for their, their food staples. You can get your breads from a local bakery and cookies from a local bakery. So you can still stock up on healthy, sustainable foods that are produced locally. Hmm. Um, yeah. So say if someone um, not in the Pennsylvania area, northeastern Pennsylvania area wants to try and find a local farm, you know, generally similar to Hillside Farms, do you have any tips as to how one can find a local farm near them? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can do a Google search for buy local. Um, local harvest is another one. Um, there's also a greener world. Um, Hillside Farms was recently certified, uh, certified humane for our dairy. And that is the highest possible certification you can get. It's the strictest um, set of criteria for, for animals. And you could also go to a greenerworld.org and then they will give you a list of farms that have been rated animal welfare approved. But if you go to local harvest, or like I said, you could even do a Google search. Um, you could also, you know, for Pennsylvania preferred, so you have your small farms that are PA preferred. Um, there's many, many sources out there, but I would recommend uh, local harvest and or just do a Google search of small farms near me and they'll come up for you. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys also participate in like local farmers markets and stuff like that? We do not participate in local farmers markets, but I got to tell you something that's really cool that we do. 10 years ago, we partnered with our local um, intermediate unit, LIU 18, Luzerne Intermediate Unit. Um, and we started this as a pilot project. And it was to get students who were not necessarily going to go to a trade school or, or go to college after they graduated from high school. And we partnered with LAU 18 to develop a program for students ages 16 to 21, where they would learn valuable life skills, okay? And it was called Dream Green Garden, right? And again, it was supposed to be maybe one, two years, let's kind of see how it goes. 
I can tell you right now, these students, you know, several have gone on. Um, they've learned incredible skills. They have a plot at Hillside Farms that the farm donated. So they have their acreage um, at the farm and they are literally running this farm now. They have their wow. job coaches. They start everything from seed in the greenhouses at Hillside Farms. They do all the planting. Everything is organic. There's no chemicals. They are responsible. So they're not, they're only, they're not only responsible for planting and harvesting, right? Then they take everything, they pick it up, they clean it up, they bring it down in their wagons. They take it to the farmer's market in Wilkes-Barre on Public Square. So they're also selling their produce. They're learning marketing skills. They design their own paper bags. They're learning money exchange. They're learning communication skills. They are learning all the aspects you need to either run a small business or work in a business, okay? And the cool part is now this program 10 years later is sustaining itself. So the money that they earn at the farmer's markets and doing their various uh, sales gets put back into the program and these kids are running it. And they're also incredible help to our barn staff. They help with the animal care and the animal feeding and the exercising and doing the fun stuff like mucking stalls. So when we look at these individuals, it's almost like they're, they're just part of staff now. We see them every day. And right now, because the schools are closed, we don't see them and we miss them terribly. We definitely miss them terribly. But that that's a really cool piece of a partnership and I would love to see it at this point replicated uh, with other small farms in and around Pennsylvania, as well as the intermediate units in the in the respective counties. So that's oh. a goal of mine. So. How can I join that? Like what you just described sounds like the perfect thing for me. Like I, I, I would like to join if there's an opening or um, a way to. Well, why don't you shoot me an email at my farm email address? I have a few, depending on which project I'm working on. But if you send me an email, Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at hillsidefarms.org. And um, I will get you information and we could talk some more offline and, and see what we could talk about in the future. Right now, we've got a skeleton staff just because of, mm. of the... Uh, you know, the lack of resources, but again, it's going to pick up and things are going to get busy again and we're going to be healthy and safe and uh, maybe learning some solid, important lessons in the meantime. You want to maybe tell us about the uh, grief camp? Absolutely. Grief camp is something near and dear in my heart. Um, as I spoke about in the beginning, when we, when we all got together, um, grief camp began, began a few years ago. It was the subject of my TEDx talk. And Grief Camp is a free camp that is available um, to children ages six through 14 who have experienced trauma. And again, the trauma has been related to the loss of a loved one through death, um, death, accident, murder, suicide, um, illness, as well as children who are in foster care, children who have been abused or neglected. Um, we have a few children whose whose parents are in prison and we also have some children whose parent or parents are in active addiction so these kids need help uh, we developed this model basically so the farm going back to the farm heels where the children come to this grief camp and they work side by side with our farmers and with our farm staff 
and they perform an incredible variety of farm-related activities related to the care of our farm animals. Um, what's also wonderful, though, is that we have the absolute pleasure, and it's really an honor to work with these individuals. Um, we have partnered with a local university that provides um, grief education activities. We uh, also work with trauma counselors, social workers, and other mental health professionals. Those individuals provide grief-related sessions, and no child has to participate in any session whatsoever. They can basically talk or not talk. The whole idea of camp is for them to feel that they're safe and feel that they're accepted and they're not judged, and they can choose to participate at whatever level they want to or not. Hmm. Now, is this something yeah. that's everywhere or is this unique to uh, Hillside Farms? It's actually unique to Hillside Farms. It's, it's really the only nonprofit dairy farm um, in the country that is offering this farm-based uh, children's grief camp at the level that it is. And um, what I want to do is I want to start to replicate this. I want to reach out to other small farms in other areas, um, other mental health professionals. You know, um, I have the model and we know the model works and we know what needs to be done, all the variables, you know, all the spokes of the wheels that you need to make this work. Because you can have a great idea, but you've got to find the funding. You have to find the children. You have to see if it's a good match for the children. You have to have your animals. You have to vet the animals and make sure that the animals are a good match. Animal welfare plays a huge role in this. You know, not every animal is cut out to want to hang out and work with children or adults. Not every animal makes a good therapy animal. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky because I'm, I'm in, a, in a program right now at, at PennVet, University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine, and I'm studying animal behavior and animal welfare. And I signed up for that because I wanted to get a deeper understanding of life and welfare from the animal's perspective, because I think that's key when you're getting into, into this type of program. You know, just like not every, every dog is going to be a good therapy dog. And that's, you know, it's critical when you have children working with the farm animals, you know, doing basic chores. But the research that, that we have supports that one of the most satisfying pieces of children's grief camp and one of the most beneficial pieces as far as the children getting confidence again and feeling better about themselves and their lives is actually completing farm-based chores and chores working with the animals because they get that sense of satisfaction so we're going to build on that too yeah that that sounds like um something similar to what i've done uh the the concept of instead of um punishing bad behavior, promoting and having a reward system for positive behaviors. Um, and, you know, that's why so many kids play video games and get immersed into video games, because what video games really do best is they create a powerful reward system mm -hmm. for certain behaviors. And it, it even goes so far as the sounds that come up. And right. the, the score and the numbers and the, you know, the high score list and um, different levels. So I used to do something with my younger siblings. Um, I, I set up like this rewards game for like doing chores around the house um, that 
back when I was living at home. And it actually worked really well because otherwise they wouldn't do any chores and they were just like unmotivated and stagnant. Sure. But this reward system, this mental concept, this, uh, this structure that rewards certain tasks actually really kickstarted and um, extended, you know, their, their uh, motivation and mm -hmm. productivity. So. Absolutely. And, you know, there's something to be said that's not really cool about fear-based learning. You know, right. you're, you're doing something to avoid punishment when, mm -hmm. you know, that is not necessarily the most sustainable way to teach. And it's the same way with animals as well. But if we could encourage, and then that kind of happens holistically, you know, you, you want to do things for the sake of doing it the right way. Right. When it comes to the uh, grief camp, what can parents and guardians hope for for their children that attend? Our goal for children's grief camp is improvement and progress. We don't make any claim that a child is going to go through the entire grief process because that's that's unrealistic. Grief is a process and one of the goals, an important goal of children's grief camp is to have the children comfortable of the grief process because it's an ebb and flow, you know, and even children can be happy during the grieving process and that's okay. And we have kids that feel guilty because something makes them laugh or something makes them happy. So the grief education part is important so they can understand whatever they're feeling is not right or wrong. Whatever they're feeling, it just is. That's their feelings and it's okay. So basically, um, I would say that it's improvement process. Hopefully by the end of this camp, each camp is broken down to five days. So it's a nine to five o'clock camp that goes for five days. We have three weeks of camp currently um, at Hillside Farms and we do pre and post surveys so that there's research that goes on we, we partner with a local university that does the research for us and we want the children to be able to express how they're feeling whatever they're feeling and to be comfortable because that's such a key piece um, not keeping everything inside and a, a farm favorite activity during children's grief camp is reading to the animals and the kids come and they can get their books out of our library and we have some children who want to sit with a calf and others who want to sit with a goat maybe a rabbit maybe the chickens um, maybe one of the horses the donkeys and they just have time where that's their time and some maybe aren't necessarily the best readers and they're not comfortable reading but they share pictures and they share stories so that's a that's a farm favorite activity during children's grief camp is actually reading to the animals and again the animals don't judge animals live in the moment and no matter how you look or how you act or what you're feeling the animal is not going to judge you and in some cases especially with horses um, they almost give you a sense of a biofeedback because they mimic based on what they're feeling. And so as you see a child start to relax, you will see the horse, the face of the horse start to relax, the ears begin to relax, the lower lip starts to relax, the eyes are more gentle. So it's almost like they feed off of one another. And that's one of the cool things. That's one of the lessons um, that we work with with the children at, at grief camp. Um, I I'd just like to go back to one thing you said um, regarding 
allowing so allowing ourselves to feel whatever comes up instead of denying or repressing or feeling guilt about something uh speaking from personal experience having gone through different um types of grieving different dark periods in my life dark nights of the soul um mm -hmm. terrible emotions breakdowns that's one thing that i've found to be really important really profound and really healing and centering is just allowing ourselves to feel and maybe even express and open up and connect to someone else either like a neutral third party like an animal or a trusted person um, so like a guide or a therapist or a family member or a loved one and um, but the the initial thing seems to be that barrier of fear or guilt or repression and so anything that helps to catalyze or move someone through that barrier is going to be like the first major step into yeah. moving through the grieving process so i i think um you're, you're doing something that really helps absolutely and what is also important is the children um work with groups and and they're in their own age group and they see that there's other kids like them going through stuff and you know every child is going through stuff at this camp and again there's no judgment and the kids start to support one another which is really cool too and they begin to share and and it's incredible to see how the animals help the children share um there was one case where we had a little girl and we knew her mother had died she had no interest at all in sharing any story about her mom and her mother's illness. And it was three days into grief camp while bottle feeding a calf. She opened up and began to share how when she was going with her father to see her mother in the hospital, they would pass farms and on the farms there were cows. And you see the whole thing there is feeding the calf created a connection and a safe place for her to open up and begin to share. And, and there's other, other examples of, of where even nature, um, working together, picking, picking the, the vegetables at the farm and making lunches together. And there was another girl one time during lunch, they're preparing lunches and they're sitting down and they're eating their lunch. And this little girl, five or six years old, just says, look, everybody, don't even, and she's like sitting around, like you would be at break at work, okay? And she says, don't even get me started on my mother's old boyfriend because she, she got sick of him because he came home drunk every single night and she had to throw him out. And I'm like, she's six years old. And that was her life already. But she felt comfortable sharing that. And, and there was a, a young teenage boy who pointed out that he recognized someone else um, who he went to school with. And he was in foster care. And he said, I felt embarrassed for her to see me here. But then I thought, you know what, she's here. So her heart is probably hurting too. So the kids realize that they're not alone. And if they're not alone, they're not going to feel so isolated. And if they don't feel so isolated, then maybe we can reduce the anxiety and the shame. Because, you know, I can speak from personal experience growing up from what I went through. When you think you're the only kid going through this stuff 
and you think all the other families are perfect and all these other kids have perfect lives, then it's like, there's got to be something wrong with me then. So you take on this tremendous responsibility and that can really mess up your ability to, to connect with others, to trust, you know, things that, that we want so much in life, but you don't feel safe because you feel like you really are an outcast. And so grief camp is a way for these children to sit down and be with one another and some share and some don't. And, and we also have guest speakers come in, um, our lunchtime speakers, and these are adults, okay? Many of these adults are leaders in our communities who have gone through childhood trauma and they come back and they talk to these children and they share their stories of what it was like growing up and you know some were in foster care uh some have thoughts of suicide because of extreme bullying some were homeless some had domestic violence sexual assault and they share their stories and you know we had one little boy he was seven years old and after someone had shared about growing up with addiction the adult was talking about addiction growing up in his family this little boy sitting in the front row raised his hand and he just said, my father does drugs and he gave away my baby sister and he started to cry. And immediately all the other children came around to hug him and to comfort him. And, and that's when it just really hits you that, you know, when you can have a child look to an adult and you have an adult willing to share what they've gone through you're giving that child hope because that child can be, my gosh, look at this grown up and this grown up is awesome and this grown up is successful and this grown up is happy. And if he or she did it, then I can too. And that creates an incredible ripple effect because hopefully that child in these grief camps now as an adult will feel comfortable sharing her story with another hurting child. So if you think about that, the ripple effect can cross generations. And we all have the ability now to help heal the trauma of those who are not even born yet. Because if we share our story and that child grows up and shares her story and that continues on and on, we really can reach those individuals that are coming down the pike and in life. And that's sustainable. Sustainability is making choices today. So those born 200 years from now have access to the same or better resources and opportunities. And that includes mental health. We all have the right to mental health and a healthy life, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, as well as physically. Absolutely. And you touched on a really good point about isolation and that illusion of isolation, which so many of us have. And, you know, it may come and go. I think there's an ebb and flow to it. Mm -hmm. um, we might feel connected and open sometimes um, while, um, you know, other times we feel disconnected and separate and alone. Um, so it's an ebb and flow. But you you brought that up at a really interesting time right now during the coronavirus pandemic where the whole world essentially is on lockdown and um you could almost like feel the societal fear and anxiety and paranoia and separation on on the world level now so it's mm -hmm. not even um 
it's not even uh, confined to one individual anymore. It's just, it's, it's perhaps that's the virus. Perhaps the virus is that feeling of isolation. And saying it, yeah. And, and if you look at social media, individuals sharing their experiences, um, there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And children are seeing that as well. And something that I, I kind of put out there as often as I could as a reminder to everyone, including myself, is that, you know, you have to act and say, including what you post on social media, as if your children and grandchildren are listening and watching because they are. And they are seeing how you're responding during this pandemic. And you're, you're teaching them through your actions and through your behaviors of, of how to act, how to respond. So, you know, and it's not easy to do and we've got to check ourselves almost every day, but we really need to take a step back and see how our actions now are affecting the children who are watching us go through this because they're going through it too. Mm. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're setting the example for future generations. And at the same time, the world, um, this generation, this this um, time of human beings have really never experienced anything on this level. So this is like a new trauma or a new crisis, a, a grieving process on the world level. Um, so a lot of what you're saying, um, you know, helping children grieve or helping adults through that process really applies to the world because the world is made up of children and, uh, and adults. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if we can find ways to help deal with our anxiety and the feelings that come up, maybe we don't need to self-medicate as much, you know, and, and self-medicating can go far beyond um, alcohol or drugs. It could be gambling. It could be compulsive buying. Um, it can be food. It can be, it can be so many things. And basically what you're doing is you're, you're putting this heavy coat on so you don't have to feel what you're feeling because the feelings are scary. But if we could find a way to get the feelings out and again, sharing is, is so incredible because then it's like, wow, you too, you feel that way too, or that happened to you. Then again, you don't feel so isolated and the shame can, can go away and you don't feel like such a freak because there's a lot of people going through some pretty heavy stuff before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've been going through stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, um, naturally, as people, we want to feel good, we want to feel connected, we want to feel rewarded, and we have a natural aversion, or at least most of us do, we have a natural aversion to pain and discomfort and disease. So right. whenever, whenever we feel a discomfort or disease or pain within, we reach for all these different coping mechanisms which we view as medicines to help us feel better so while some people only know of turning to um, like alcohol or or drugs or gambling or compulsive sex or whatever i mean like you said you could be addicted to anything um, right. there's also the group connection and connecting with another person and just hugging someone or being close to someone or being close to an animal or um, connecting with something 
a, an entity, a conscious entity, a human or an animal or spirit, God, connecting with something outside of yourself to right. find that peace and that connection. So. Absolutely, yes. You mentioned uh, reading to the animals, uh, bottle feeding animals. Uh, what kind of common uh, practices or activities do you uh, direct the children to? So basically, when the kids come to Children's Grief Camp, they are working the farm. So they would be doing, on a, on a smaller level, um, the same activities that the farm staff would be doing. Okay, so it is, um, it's responsibility and it's teaching the children responsibility and they learn that they are responsible for an animal or group of animals. And so that includes the feeding, providing fresh water, mucking the stalls, which is basically cleaning the stalls, putting down fresh bedding, um, exercising the animals because the animals need turnout, you know, they need their fresh air and they need their sunshine. So a lot of time is spent doing the hands-on farm work, picking eggs. Um, they get their buckets and we, you know, our chickens are in pasture and then they help pick the eggs um, and help wash the eggs. So pack the eggs so the eggs are sold in the dairy store. So they really are doing the, the activities. Um, the only thing that the children will not do is to physically milk the cows. They can observe the whole milking process but that is just something um, for for liability reasons. Um, it's equipment, and you're you're you know, you know you're underneath the cows. Even though the setup is safe, um, the children would be observing. But what they would do is they would bottle feed the calves um, instead of actually milking. But they can see, you know, they can see the whole process of milking the cows. So they do get a full farm experience. And what's really good is that they, they again they learn where their food comes from. And they also learn because of that, the importance of caring for the earth and caring for all the critters that are part of the earth. Yeah, it sounds like um, that's another important method for uh, healing and coping with the grieving is setting, setting aside your normal behaviors and thought patterns and beliefs and learning to care for something and be involved in something beyond yourself so in this Absolutely. instance yeah like what you just described is you're you're teaching the children how to care for another being care for the animals care for the farm and so instead of them being trapped inside their head their isolation their their dark cave of suffering you're helping them to open up and find the care within them through mm -hmm. this um group community mindset that's beautiful absolutely and there's just a tremendous feeling of of brushing an animal um farm animal or or your dog um the caring part and looking into their eyes um horses and cows have very soft watery eyes and it's often linked to the eyes of a mother um and children respond very well to looking into the eyes of a horse or a cow and it's it's pretty remarkable to see yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, whenever I would go up to the farm and like look at cows, they're very, like their aura, their eyes are very docile and like comforting mm -hmm. and relaxed. And it, it's like, it infects you. It, it's like contagious, yeah. that vibe or yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, you stand around the herd or you even stand around with, with any farm animal, you could feel yourself start to chill. And, and, and again, it's, it's a combination of being around the animals and being in fresh air, you're being in nature. And there's wonderful, wonderful evidence-based papers out there that, that back, the science backs um, the benefits of spending time in nature. Um, that helps with depression, it helps with anxiety, and it also helps with pain relief. Um, and there's more, there's more studies coming out because there, there really is not a lot out there as far as the research with farm animals, but I do have some papers um, that support how it helps with depression and anxiety and to some extent pain management. So there's definitely something there that needs to be further explored and also implemented further. We can all benefit. Absolutely. It's like we we trap ourselves in these prisons of thought and behavior that society built. And we trap ourselves in these, um, you know, urban prisons, these prisons of wood and stone and streets and bills and taxes and responsibilities when sometimes the best cure is to just step outside that if only for a couple hours a day and just get back in tune with the the pure natural rhythm of things mm -hmm. that's, Absolutely. that's untouched Absolutely. by humans it's the best way to reboot it's the best way to reset yourself yeah, there's this book. I just uh, double checked my Audible. I love audio books. Um, I listened to this book. It's called uh, The Nature Fix by Florence Williams that specifically talks about the uh, therapeutic um, feelings and therapeutic nature of nature itself. And uh, yeah. It's a really interesting book. I definitely suggest it. And because it, there's a, it's it's funny. I guess it was co-written by. Uh, there's this one guy who's saying, uh, "City life is relaxing, <laughs> like New York City, like intense city, like metropolitan life." And then this uh, author is also talking about um, how nature itself is more, you know, uh, grounding. It's very relaxing and therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tell us more about this green therapy you mentioned. Well, the green therapy basically goes back to nature-based therapy, and green therapy is just another term that that uh, correlates with with nature-based therapy. And um, a few years back, when I was finishing up my master's degree, um, my study was green therapy and the effects of green therapy on soldiers, um, veterans experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and again, you know, you have individuals who have gone through horrific experiences and they bring those experiences back home. You know, it's not like you can just turn off a light switch and it's going to go away. They live with this for years and years and many for the, for the remainder of their lives. And it was interesting to see even spending time near a stream or gardening or clearing a park again connecting using your hands and it's it's a grounding there there's a grounding that happens and it's just phenomenal um you know that we have something right out our doors that i believe that if we took more advantage of what's out there um it could help us and i'm not saying that it's a cure-all because i know it's not a cure-all but it's it's proven that it definitely 
in decreases your anxiety and it increases your sense of well-being so you know if you can't get to the farm and you can't get to the farm animals and you don't have a, a dog or you don't have a cat or you can't get into the animal assisted interventions you know spending time outside spending time among trees taking your shoes off and standing in the grass getting grounded again in nature because we come from the earth as well and we're going to go back to the earth um, and it makes sense that that's a real important part of, of our being. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one thing I've found every springtime, one of my favorite parts of springtime is the opportunity to work with what soil I have, what land I have. Um, here in the city, it's not much. I have a, a small raised bed garden and like uh that's you know good. that's great yeah yeah um but yeah i mean like every springtime that's one of my favorite parts about it is just being able to get my hands dirty literally and like walk around barefoot and and smell the fresh spring air and the sun's out and you could smell the grass people are outside walking around um yeah. and ju just working with the soil um has so many benefits alone just literally touching dirt all the microbes um, and bacteria in the dirt they've found that they're actually um, important for good health that mm -hmm. those microbes actually help to boost the immune system so um, that's good news for me because i was always playing in dirt as a child um, oh yeah yeah i've consumed my fair share of mud pies <laughs> and yeah yeah absolutely it's what we did yeah. you know yeah. it's it's we were outside until the the fire the, you know the the alarm the 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 fire alarm at the local fire company would would blast and that was the siren to get into the house because it was curfew but we were outside and we were playing and digging and and spending time and for me of course spending time at the farm so uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's an incredibly rich way to be is, is spending time in nature. Yeah, even the even on the micro level, like even if you don't live in, um, you know, out in the rural parts, mm -hmm. or if you don't have a big yard, like this yard is tiny here, like literally maybe three by three feet right, right. in the middle of a city. Uh -huh. I mean, even that though, even working with like a flower pot you you still you're still connecting with very basic natural things that are present literally everywhere so it's just a, a micronized fractal version of it and you you see how things die and decompose back into nutrients and uh energy for a seed to transform and grow into a plant so that that very central theme of death, rebirth, and recycling is present even in just growing a plant or starting a small compost Absolutely. bin. Absolutely, and you know, you you really hit on such a good point about seeing everything go back to the earth, mm -hmm. because when if it's a plant or an animal or a human, ideally decomposing and going back to the earth, then it becomes the source. Eventually, it becomes the source for new life. And that's really beautiful when you think about it. It's really not an ending, it's a continuum. And, um, you know, briefly um, with the animals at, at the farm, the animals go back to the earth. 
you know, the, the, the dairy cows spend their entire life, you know, they're not sold, they're not shipped off when they no longer milk. Um, they stay at the farm. They're retired at the farm and become part of the educational team. We recently had one cow pass uh, last month. Her name was Cairo. She turned 20 years old in February. I mean, they spend their lives. And when a cow dies or when a goat dies, sheep, anything at the farm, it goes back and it becomes part, a, a permanent part. And again, it feeds that whole life cycle. So it's not the end, it's a continuum and it does feed the earth so new things can grow. Exactly, that's the viewpoint that I've come to um, because I've been through, I've been at the conscious level of like viewing from this alive personality limited perspective of okay, if, if I can't see or hug someone, if their physical body is gone, then that's the death, the ending of their existence. So I've been in that perception before, but then when you look at it, even on a scientific level, you know, without spirituality, of course, it comes to the same conclusion that there really is no end. There's no death if, science views us just as electric waves and signals and neural pathways then even that electric energy which we are even <laughs> when this physical body dies that energy is dispersed and recycled back through nature so even science comes to that same conclusion of yeah. eternal recycling there is no birth or death there's just recycling it's uh -huh. just one yeah. thing it's interesting you say that, um, and at, this, at the rate of, you know, at the chance of sounding crazy, my father died in 1988, and there are times, like, I go like this, like, I, there's just, and it's not like I'm looking for anything, but out of nowhere, and I just go, yeah, all right, I got you, Dad. And mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting, because there would be feelings that I would get only when he was in my presence, and it's not something I look for but it's something out of nowhere. And I could be doing anything. I could be in my car and I, that feeling just comes back um, unsolicited. So I truly, truly believe um, death is not the, it's just, it's not the end. It's a continuum. Absolutely. I agree. Yes. These, these energy signatures or personalities or souls are formed through this physical body and I, I believe that death, that same um, signature, that same soul just leaves the physical body. The physical body is no longer suitable for it to be in. So it just mm -hmm. leaves. And I mean, you could speculate on where it goes, if it goes to nirvana, heaven, hell, who sure. knows, but it goes. Uh, but I believe it remains intact. And mm -hmm. yeah. It's a very beautiful thing, too. Have you noticed any psychological differences between children and adults while dealing with any kind of grief? Um, actually, and it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, children, I see, in my experience, and again, I'm, I'm not a mental health professional and I'm not a grief professional, um, what I have witnessed is children are more open and willing 
to talk about their grief. Um, and they're, I, I see them getting more comfortable in a group. We have tried in the past just to kind of float the idea out there of an adult grief camp. And previously, it was like, oh yeah, like somebody would say, yeah, I guess I'll be, I'll, I'll join and yeah, I'll sign up. Um, but now that grief camp is ba-boom, ba-boom, it's been several years now and it's out there, you know, tying in this, this children's grief camp with Hillside Farms, um, a few weeks ago, actually it was before this whole pandemic thing started, I put something out on my personal Facebook page, okay? And I just said, look, I'm just kind of curious. And I was with one of our pigs, Pua. Um, it was a picture of me and Pua. And I said, would anybody be interested in participating in an adult grief camp? If it was for a weekend, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, you're gonna do the farm chores. We're gonna have grief education sessions. I got over 55 people mm -hmm. contacting me saying Thanks. yes. So what I'm hoping is, it, it's interesting because sometimes we say, well, let's see, if the kids see the adults do something, maybe the kids will do it, but it's kind of like reverse now. It's almost like the children are out there going, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing this. And the mm -hmm. adults are saying, hmm, if they can do it, maybe we can do it too. So um, I'm, I'm really hoping that it does come together that this fall, uh, fall of 2020, that we could have a weekend program where um, we could get together and, and adults and maybe adults, adults could start to get more comfortable talking to other strangers because it's not like, you know, we're bringing everybody who knows each other, just like the kids. The kids don't know anybody when they're coming in together unless it's a sibling. So I'm seeing in my experience that children are more open to talking about it and maybe adults, you know, it's too painful, it's too heavy or it goes back to you know, people are going to think I'm weird or, you know, the worst thing, um, oh, you should be over that already. It's been six months, you know, right. so, so, you know, like you get put on this timetable mm -hmm. and, and that's so unfair because then it puts pressure and then you're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Am I wallowing? You know, am I doing a self-pity thing? No, you're going to grieve in whatever way, whatever length of period you need to get through this. So um, I think the children might be a little bit more comfortable now in this situation, talking about grief and sharing it. And hopefully, you know, we could start to implement programs where we could take farm-based and nature-based uh, grief education sessions and, and then transfer them to adults. Mm -hmm. This is real quick because I could go on forever. I just, this is part of my soul, this, this, this work. Um, but my first experience at Hillside Farms, my gosh, I think it was like in 2009, when there was a gentleman who was being treated at our local uh, VA hospital and he wouldn't talk. He just was not going to talk. And actually it was his therapist. And I ran into him one time in the dairy barns. I had no idea who this guy was or what it was all about, but he brought this older veteran to Hillside Farms inside the dairy barn and that's where he would do his sessions because that's where he would open up and talk. And I was just like, and I walked in on it. Like I didn't expect it. And then I learned what it was all about. And it's like, oh my God, because that guy was a farmer. When he was young, he was a farmer and that's where he felt safe. So again, that connection, you know, the connection with the animals and, and, and with nature. So yeah, um, 
yeah, I found uh, one really important thing for any type of opening up. Um, it, a simple metaphor that I've found in my life is, um, you know, we try to keep some sort of uh, rigid personality and we don't want to break down certain barriers with people that we see every day mm -hmm. um, yep. for fear of judgment because you know we have to live with them every single day so if we do something that's unacceptable then that's going to stay with us for forever until we stop spending time with them but mm -hmm. i've noticed that when i go to a city which i don't live in or an event which i know absolutely no one and i'll never see these people again I feel like a weight is lifted in a way because it's like a freedom to be myself and even yeah. if even if it's not received by someone well even if I'm rejected by these people it won't matter in a couple days because I won't see them again so mm -hmm. it's like you don't a, have to be on you know exactly it's yeah. like you're free to take whatever form you want and experiment and really it doesn't follow you i mean you know uh mostly I, I think that sums it up and then yeah you could be you before you're expected to be someone you know exactly it's a fresh yeah. uh, a fresh perspective no yeah. one knows anyone so be whatever you want and then we're never going to see each other again or mm -hmm. maybe if you make a connection there then right yeah. totally i get that yeah, tell us a little bit more about your uh, grief education sessions and what they're like. Okay, the grief education sessions, again, we're, we're very fortunate because we partner with trauma counselors, mental health professionals, and then um, professionals and graduate students from a local university. And all develop and implement um, different types of activities. And the whole idea of the activities, again, nature-based, animal-based, farm animal-based, is to have the children relate to whatever activity that they are working on. And the idea is for them to come to their own conclusions that, gosh, what I'm, what I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling is normal. And, and that's the whole idea is getting this grief thing to have a child and even an adult feel that it's normal what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm feeling. And again, as I said earlier, even if you're in the grieving process and you're happy, um, that's okay too. It's okay to be happy during the grieving process because it is an ebb and flow and there's not an end of a timeline. So yeah, there's there's some wonderful activities that, that just take place that help the children get to their own aha moment. And that's, that's really awesome to see. Um, a lot of it is collecting things in, in nature. And even when they would do something like make these dream catchers, you know, how they have the circle and you put all of these strings and everything and everything is in nature. And the dream catchers in this case are to help them understand and catch feelings that they're having a hard time expressing. And when you catch those feelings, the feelings stop and then you're able to take that feeling, whatever it is, and recognize it and talk about that feeling. So everything ties in in this really organic, unique way that's, that's quite remarkable and special. Yeah, yeah developmental psychology is a, a fascinating topic. Um, I, uh, I was listening to his audiobook the other day. It was, it's called uh, 
The Whole Death Catalog by Harold Schitzer. And I, it, what he said about child developmental psychology around death, it was just mm -hmm. so fascinating. I had to write it down, and I think you guys will appreciate this. Um, so I guess in 1948, a Hungarian woman named Maria... Uh, boy, Nash, Nashia. Uh, what she did was a child uh, psychology of death, and she d she she kind of created this chart based on like uh, the ages of the children, where there's three developmental stages uh, for children around grief and death. Uh, so what she said was ages three to five. Children perceive death more as like a diminished kind of life where it's more of like a sleep state. Mm -hmm. From ages five to nine, it's almost like uh, it, they start grasping like, okay, it is a permanent thing happening here. Uh, it generally happens to the elderly. And this is the point in life where they start personifying it, where it's like the Grim Reaper. There's uh, yeah. the boogeyman, you know? Uh, and it's kind of like they break it down into either it's like luck that you outpace death or it's like you develop a skill to continue li life and continue living to an elderly age. And then from nine, the age nine and up, it's more of like uh, accepting and witnessing that death is more universal and it's more of like a finality in life. And I just found that to be very fascinating because there, I, I haven't really found much on uh, developmental psychology as to how children perceive death. And I think that's a really good starting point into getting inside the little heads and kind of like allowing to yourself to help them through and uh, cope and understand. Yeah, and that's one of the, the really the blessings um, in my type of work because I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a counselor. Um, I have the opportunity to, you know, put this program in place and then find all of the professionals mm. that come together and then collectively, you know, making this thing called Children's Grief Camp work, you know, partnering with the researchers and the trauma counselors and the farmers and, and just the, the social workers. And, and it's just remarkable um, to be able to see this all come together and everybody having the same goal, you know, when, when we're together working during this camp, and it's to have the children leave camp with improvement and progress um, with whatever they're feeling. So it's, it's really awesome to watch. Nice. Um, so regarding um, the, the camps and the educational um, events that you have, the educational courses and the hands-on learning and the community volunteer work there um you've mentioned that you you have it for children and i think you mentioned that um you were trying to start one for adults uh how far did you get with the adult program and do you plan to have that for grief counseling only or like expanding to sustainable living sustainable agriculture and community farm work Excellent question. Um, the adult grief camp, we have we have an incredible interest um, that was prior to the pandemic. I think we're gonna have more um, when this all wraps up. But when they come to onto the farm, and it's just like the children, um, they would be expected to work the farm. 
um, and do the chores and the animal care and picking the eggs and all the other things that the farmer would do. But while they're doing that, they do learn. So there's an educational aspect as well. So it is learning a more sustainable life, even learning where your food comes from and mm -hmm. the, the amount of animal welfare that it's critical for a, a, sustainable, a sustainable society, actually. So yes, that is a key component um, in addition to the grief sessions and then the grief-related activities. They would be tailored for adults. So in the present situation where Governor Tom Wolf, you know, imposed the lockdown, the social distancing, um, closing all non-essential businesses, is Hillside Farms, the marketplace, the farm, is that cons considered an essential business? I, I believe yes, because you said the marketplace is still open, right? Yeah, and the animals have to be fed and the cows have to be milked and the eggs have to be picked. Um, and yes, the farm supplies the, the dairy and it supplies the eggs as well as some of the local food. So yes, a farm is an essential business. And then the dairy store that's part of Hillside Farms is open as well for the selling of food. So then wouldn't the grief counseling and educational aspects of it, mm -hmm. I would imagine, I mean, I would consider those to be essential. Um, does the state consider them essential or did you look into that? Well, as far as the grief education, the grief education sessions and the grief camps are held during the summer. So oh, okay. it's really going to depend on what happens, you know, over the next several weeks and the next month or two. Um, we like to have the grief camp kids come back and we encourage them to come back for activities, you know, throughout the year. But the camps themselves take place during the summer months, so we're not there yet. And I and I pray by the time this happens that uh, we're going to have, you know, the all clear where the farm can be open again. Yeah, the reason why I'm asking this is because it seems like now more than ever is like the prime time for sustainable living um, community or local supply chains, local farming, local sustainable culture, growing, gardening, farming, it, that should be taking the spotlight right now. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing with supply chains and stores closing. Right. I mean, that's really like, that's the, the light shining on that right now. So it mm -hmm. seems like now would be a prime time to um, open it up in a way that's safe, you know, for health-wise, not to spread the, yeah. the virus, but also um, to to educate people on this and mm -hmm. to help show people that don't worry, the close the your traditional stores are closing down, your traditional supply chains, your traditional financial systems are on the wane. It seems like they're dying, they're having a hard time, but this is like the sustainable grounded alternative that literally everyone could do even absolutely. if it's a small garden so absolutely a small garden and we actually encourage anyone who comes to hillside farms the most sustainable thing you can do is actually to have a backyard garden even if it's a few tomato plants and mm -hmm. some herbs or some lettuce and beans that is the most sustainable thing you can do and that's what we actually encourage yes you know, so, we don't know exactly where this virus came from. I know that they have ideas and they're they're pinpointing it. The professionals and the, the scientists are pinpointing 
Um, but it's a wake up call. And, yeah. and I think we need to take a harder, closer look at our food sources and the traceability. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, so uh, is there any idea or plan to have some sort of group activity for the springtime, like turning the soil, planting plants, um, anything like that? Do you have any classes uh, like that? Yeah, we do. And, and unfortunately for now, everything is put on hold. So, um, you know, we had things that were our cheese making and our buttermilk making classes, et cetera. Um, and anything to do with the outdoors currently is put on hold and it will most likely take place mid to late summer, early fall. So those hands-on sustainable farming activities will still happen, just not in the next month or two. Okay. In your experiences, is there anyone that, you know, talks to children about death, how to cope with death or guide children through grieving, any kind of like education for kids around death? I am not aware of any um, education sessions out there that are, you know, that you would like a book or you would sit down mm. in a course or a class or anything like that. Um, I don't really have in my experience any any knowledge of at least anything locally that could prepare a child even if somebody in the family is not sick now you know with hospice of course um and palliative care so that is a process so a child may be exposed because they they are you know he or she is aware that that a family member is sick or a close friend is 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 ill a grandparent is ill but I really think that is the only um, the only source out there, and it's a valuable source. Um, it's incredible what um, hospice workers do. They're they're just remarkable. They are they're living angels. They're saints, in my opinion. Their their work is just so needed and so critical. Mm. Um, but that's pretty much the only the only uh, resource that I'm aware of. Mm. Uh, you mentioned that you have experience in the hospice world. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am not as active as I was. Um, I'm more involved with the grief campaign, but but I was um, a volunteer uh, for some time for a local hospice, and it was incredible. It was incredibly gratifying work, um, and I was with individuals who were who were actively dying. Um, I was never afraid. Um, I considered it to be an honor to, to be with these individuals. Um, the first individual that I was with, I spent about nine months with him before he was actively in the act of dying process. And I can remember eventually this individual needed to be put into a facility um, because he needed round the top, round the clock pain management. And um, I saw him for maybe five days every day. I would spend maybe two hours with him in the afternoon and, and pretty much he was um, heavily sedated because of his pain. He had, he had advanced cancer. And the last day that I was with him, you know, I was told that it was, it was close to, to his diet time of, of dying. And I brought a book. Um, it was the Coral Sea by Patty Smith. And I sat next to his bed and I just started to read to him and, um, he was unconscious and I just started to also talk to him and I told him, what an honor it was to get to know him and to hear his stories because he had incredible stories about working in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. And, and it was just amazing to get to know this individual. 
and I thanked him for for the privilege of being with him when he was actively dying. And um, I looked at him and tears started to come down his cheeks. And this was a man who, um, you know, was, was sedated. And I would like to think that somehow there was a connection on this side and, um, you know, that he knew that he was not alone and that someone cared for him deeply. Um, as a hospice worker, uh, is there any tips that um, you can offer families that are going through something similar as to how to be there for their loved ones? Well, my hospice work was volunteer work, so I was not on staff at the hospice. Um, I would I would really recommend, based on my experience, well, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, respite for the families um, is critical because they are the caregivers pretty much 24-7. And um, what a hospice volunteer would do is provide critical respite care. Um, and being with that patient. So the individuals, so the family members could go about their normal lives because they have responsibilities and they need to do self-care as well. Um, but the majority of the families in my experience that, I, that I've had the opportunity to work with um, are there and they are listening and um, they are the chief, the chief caregivers for, for the family members or the friends. And if there's anything, um, I could suggest based on what I would see is their, their self-care because I believe the last thing someone terminal wants to see is a stressed out family member or someone who feels anxious or even feels afraid and it's okay to feel afraid but if they feel afraid then talk about it and talk about with that individual who's going through the dying process. Again, that, that communication and getting comfortable with this thing, this subject called death, mm. that we're all going to experience, it's a transition. It's not an ending. Absolutely. Yeah, it seems like you you really touched on another good point where the grief counseling and healing the stigma and fear and anxiety about death for the person who's dying you also have to do that for the people that they're close to the family and the friends and the loved ones and the descendants the children the grandchildren it's like that entire um part of reality everyone they're connected to because any fear or anxiety in that circle makes its way back into the dying person somehow well usually and um and it, then it feeds back out so it all everyone has to kind of go through the the grieving and the death together and um be at yeah. peace with it yeah and you you know what you just touched on something so important because you talked about going through the grieving together and that includes the individual who is actively dying because mm -hmm. you know as we touched on before we're an energy and that energy disperses and we're going to go somewhere else and maybe we're going to connect and somehow to the, the person or the, the family members that were in our physical life, but the physical body, the physical part is gone. So that person is probably going to be grieving that as well. I know I would, you know, um, to be able to observe or whatever form I'm in whenever I, whenever I die, but to not have that touch mm -hmm. that I would crave uh, with my loved ones, you know, I would be grieving that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, 
it's leaving this physical body which our souls have grown so used to and so attached to death mm -hmm. is really just our soul our awareness just leaving that and moving on to whatever's next so yes so like a big part of dying and being at peace with dying is being at peace with not being in human form anymore mm -hmm. and uh one really interesting way that people are um being at peace with that and healing that and accepting that inevitable future is through um one meditation meditation like meditating on shedding this human body and ascending into higher planes of existence um, beyond physical body and also like assisted meditation using plant medicines like ayahuasca or um, peyote that the indigenous people have been using for years to journey into the spiritual world beyond body um, so there's these sacraments, these medicines that help facilitate that um, process, that healing and integration process of moving beyond physical. So there, there's uh, catalysts and tools um, in the form of medicines that science is actually now just starting to catch up on and validate and show their uh, safety and effectiveness. Mm -hmm. When it comes to children and how they perceive death, uh, one thing is just fascinating to me. Uh, usually when I travel around the United States for these uh, oddity expos and markets that I do, um, I, I have like a mixed reaction when it comes to the, the families that show up. So some of the kids, like the family, like a mom, dad, and children, when the children approach my booth or table, it's 50-50. It's Half of them are like, whoa skulls this is so cool wow good job this is awesome and then the other half are just petrified like purely <laughs> horrified of my pieces and uh i just i i, I don't understand uh have there have you noticed any differences uh, as far as how guardians and families you know introduce children to death to make them uh interested or not necessarily interested but just cope well versus being horrified and scared of it well you know i can only speak of the experience that we've had at our grief camps and one thing that a child may see um, when we're hiking, for instance, in the woods. And as I said earlier, all the animals go back to the farm. They go back to the earth. So it is not unusual at all for a child to be hiking with all the other kids and maybe seeing on the distance a carcass of a cow that is decomposed. And the majority are not freaked out. They're like, whoa you know and then it's a chance but it's an incredible incredible teaching moment because we can say this was part of the dairy herd and she was old and she eventually died and we put her here because she's going to be at the farm forever and this is what happens she's covered with some dirt with some compost but she's turning back into the earth so she's going to go on now and she's going to help the grass grow and then the cows eventually are going to come back to this pasture, maybe not immediately, but they're going to be eating the grass. 
that came from the compost that made this all happen. So again, mm -hmm. they're seeing firsthand, you know, it's another teachable moment. The farm heals, but the farm also teaches. And um, we do pre and post surveys for the children who come to grief camp. And one of the questions does ask about, is this child familiar with death? Does this child have any concept of what death is? Um, and it's interesting and it's mixed. It's mixed, it's 50-50. You know, some are yes, some are no, some are, we don't talk about that stuff here at home, you know, because then we also do a post, you know, our post surveys and, and the way the data is collected is, is interesting because it's interviews, it's journals, it's videos. Um, observations and of course the children's surveys because the children's take the children take their surveys as well but yeah not not all adults um, want to talk about death or explain the, the dying process to the children that's very clear for the kids who come to grief camp mm -hmm. mm. yeah that's fascinating that um uh, when I reflect as to really when I started realizing death and the permanence of it I gotta say, I was probably around, I don't know, like, man, maybe like six or seven when uh, my my parents got me a little a little pet, a little green lizard guy. He must have been about this big. Uh, he was about three inches long, right? I had a little little um, little uh, I don't want to say cage, but a little container for him. I'd run yeah. around, get him little crickets and stuff that he could munch on and stuff. Yeah, I had one too. And uh, it wasn't until maybe like, you know, months later. Uh, yeah. And then he just one day he died. It was his time. Right. And I, I just it was at that point I realized that, you know what, he's uh, yeah, it was permanent. He's not coming back. He's no longer moving. I have to give him back to, like, say, the earth. I have to bury him, have to, you know, uh, release him back into the wilderness, the wild. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was. Uh, yeah, it's just fascinating. Uh observation as to even what you mentioned about seeing a decomposing uh, cow in the wilderness just uh, yeah it's it's nice and light to introduce children uh, just from my experiences with uh, my uh, initial interaction with death as to seeing it through like animals and like a pets mm -hmm. i would say is a good introduction yeah. And that's a, that's often what the child's first introduction to death is when mm -hmm. a when a beloved pet dies, and it could be a goldfish. I mean, it right. could be it could be any um, it could be any animal, um, but they they see that you know it's no longer physically here. You've got this body thing, but the animal as they knew it is no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it seems like uh, farming and domestication and keeping pets, it seems like what humans are doing is actually learning how to tame and capture and study and understand and enhance and learn about natural cycles and rhythms and how nature works. So what a farm is to me is humans mastering or maybe not mastering because maybe it could never be mastered mm -hmm. or at least domesticating and understanding and bringing nature into a a safe controlled setting where people can um, benefit from it and understand it and experience it more directly and um, and one of my first introductions to death was the death of my lizard just 
you know, so funny synchronicity there. Um, but yeah, I had, I had to bury it myself and, uh, tears were shed. (laughs) What, uh, what'd you name your lizard? Um, it was an iguana that Uh I named Iggy. Okay. Okay. Mine, uh, mine was a lot less, well, just as creative, I guess. My, my lizard's name was Lizard. That works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very direct, yeah. <laughs> uh, what kind of advice do you have, uh, for, like, from working with these kids and really allowing them to open up, what kind of advice do you have for parents or guardians that, you know, um, they want to talk to their kids but maybe their kids don't aren't ready to talk or they don't want to talk or they don't know how to talk well i think if i was going to give any advice it would be what we see works at children's grief camp and that is to get them involved in an activity and if they don't have access for instance to going in the outdoors you know even even walking together um, can bring a calmness or doing basic gardening or digging or looking at rocks. Um, or if you don't have an animal, you know, as I, you know, the animals, again, they make a connection an opening, you know, there's things you can do. You can sit down at a table and start to draw and you can do things like, what do you remember about grandma? What color do you think was, was grandma's favorite color? Or when you think of grandfather or you think of your brother or whoever, what do you think their favorite color would be now? Something so it creates a connection. Because I think once you create a connection and a safe place for those kids to share, it's my experience in watching these children, then they just start to open up. And then once they start to open up, they can get their feelings more in check. And you know, it's it's that confusion with the feelings that that we really try to work with at grief camp um, so they can understand it. And that's a, that's a big chunk of the grief education process because you are trying to help them understand and better understand, um, you know, the feelings that they're going through. And you know, it's it's almost fluid because what's going to work for one child may not work for another child. That could be true for siblings. What works for this sibling, maybe doesn't work for the brother or the sister, but it's, it's finding a connection and that can be anything. And if it's not in nature, like I said, drawing or, or remembering, reminiscing, writing special words in a box, a memory box. Um, there's one thing um, that we do at children's grief camp. That is the end um, of each week. And what the children do is they write a note and this note can be to anyone. Okay. It doesn't have to be necessarily to the loved one who passed or the former, the former parent. Um, They write a note and they place it in this children's memory garden that we have. And on top of the note, they plant a flower. And so they're planting their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, their ending, their new beginning. It's very symbolic. And after every child has planted their note in the children's memory garden, and then they put the flowers, we all gather around and we share a poem about growing through grief. It's a metamorphosis. You're growing through grief. And then we do a butterfly release. And you know, the grownups are there, the parents are there, the guardians are there, the camp counselors are there. And I mean, 
it's it's tears and there's high fives and there's just all of this emotion it's really cathartic and and these kids have sharpies and they're signing each other's camp t-shirts and it's really just this way to be like no matter what we're feeling it's okay and there's laughter and there's tears you know but it's a it's a great way to symbolize you know that was then and we're going to move on and we're going to grow and you can grow through grief and that's the whole idea of the metamorphosis theme of grief camp mm. yeah it's the the shedding or death of the old yeah. and, and staying connected and transforming the energy and emotion of the old mm -hmm. into something new together right. so exactly right Right, it's a combination. You don't have to leave this behind. It's still part of you and that loved one is always going to be part of you. It's part of who you are, it's part of your energy. So what you do is you take that and you've got a brand new foundation that you build upon. So what kind of future projects do you have in the works? <laughs> me personally or grief camp or <laughs> oh, uh, whichever you want to talk about well actually what I would like to see is um, I would like to take the model that is proven with children's grief camp on a f on a small Pennsylvania farm and I want to start to replicate that to other small farms um, throughout Pennsylvania and actually eventually through neighboring states um, so we can take this and we can replicate what works. It's wonderful for the children. It's wonderful for the farms. It's wonderful for the farmers. It's a win-win. So, so that is something that's on my radar. I'd also like to see more of, of an adult grief camp. So again, taking this model that we have that know, we know that works for children's grief camp and starting to use this farm-based because there's animal assisted therapy i have a therapy dog i have a, a certified therapy dog not everybody wants to be with a dog okay there's there's again there's variables that that are included here but there is something therapeutic about working at a small farm that's incredibly healing. So I want to take this model and I want to start to expand it and I want to help other organizations, local organizations in their communities start to build their own farm-based children's grief camp and a farm-based grief camp for adults. So that's that's a definite. I'm I'm going to I'm not going to stop until I I make it happen. Great. Uh so I'm not sure if any farmers would be listening or uh, so say uh, an audience member interested in wanting a grief camp for their kids or just the local community. What are some uh, beginner tips for them just to contact you or contact the farm? How can uh, well, the audience members get involved? They could do they could do two things. I mean, some tips right off the top of my head is you have to find a place to have this. Okay, and so you've got to find the farm that that is going to participate uh, funding because this does not come for free. So a huge piece of what I do is fundraising and development for the grief camp. Uh, you have to have a basic business plan. It doesn't have to be 30 pages long, but you have to have goals and benchmarks. You've got to know, you know, how you're going to, to take this apart um, and, and bring it all together. You need to find the animals. You need to have somebody who can get the children. You need to make sure that's a good match for the children for the farms. 
um, also the individuals for research purposes, the sustainability, you know, you did this and it's great, it's year one, how are you going to sustain this? Where are you going to get your mental health professionals? Where are you going to get your trauma counselors? So there's all those things that you need to think about to put it together for this thing called children's grief camp or adult grief camp um, using this farm-based model. They are absolutely welcome um, to contact me. I can give you my email and they can contact me directly. It's um, Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at Suzanne, and I'll give you the whole thing, SuzanneCapital.com, that's my website. So it would be Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-K-A-P-R-A-L.com. Okay, and that will just take you right to my email. Um, it gives you an overview. The webpage gives you an overview of adult grief camp, children's grief camp, et cetera. But I would be happy to give tips. I would be happy um, to help anyone who, who wants to go ahead with, with this journey because I think it's so valuable. Beautiful. Uh, Joshua, is there anything you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, wow, we've covered so much here. So much. So many so many good things <laughs> very it's, inspiring oh yeah uh, to my so mind inspiring. it's just as usual the perfect synchronicity for what's happening in the world on the societal level um supply chains are breaking down we're seeing the death of old financial systems the death of supply chains mm -hmm. uh businesses closing down um you know, people don't trust the government anymore. And that's what it was built on. It was built on this central trust. You should trust the central banks. You should trust the governments. Now, I mean, I can't name anyone who trusts the government. I, I don't know if maybe someone listening does. And I'm not saying it to insult anyone or, um, you know, start any arguments or debates. I'm just saying that the it's we're coming to the end of this old system where everything was centralized and everyone relies on these supply chains and mass industry. And we're seeing that come to an end quite rapidly. And mm -hmm. no one was really prepared for this except the people living in, in uh, rural parts with their own mm -hmm. farms or with sustainable uh, practices in place. They, they are really the ones who are prepared for this. The rest of us who, who were used to go into the uh, supermarket every week we're we're like deer in the headlights so um yeah so we right now this is the perfect time to talk about something like this not only for you know grieving death for children but also like grieving the death of a society for adults because that's what i see is really going on here with this coronavirus the lockdowns the shutdowns the economic instability the the old system is is dying to my mind so what what hillside farms is doing what what you're doing suzanne is it's like the new basis the way i see it this is the new basis of a, a brand new world built on sustainable compassionate and uh fair values that are pure nature that that we go back to nature and understand nature understand where our food comes from mm -hmm. and understand and appreciate the 
necessities for our survival and learn how to trade, learn how to barter, learn how to work with nature, learn how to farm again and everything that goes with it. So um, you have the, the grief camp for children, for, for children who are grieving death of loved ones or uh, any type of trauma really. So now, I mean, I would like to see some sort of like grief camp for adults Mm-hmm. that are that are grieving um the the death of their old ways or or still the death of loved ones friends um but sure. it's it's just bringing everyone back into nature and i appreciate that so much and i want to be a part of it so i will email you as please soon as do. this is please please reach out yes certainly yep uh, suzanne do you have any uh, final remarks as we wrap up the convo I just want to thank you very much for this for this opportunity. Um, this was an incredibly fascinating discussion, and and I, I thank you. Um, you know, regardless of where we're going to be weeks and months down the road um, after this pandemic passes, I just pray that during this time right now we come to grips and we remember what our priorities are. You know, so many people are saying, "I just want to hug my loved one." I just want to see my mom. I just want to see my grandmother. I miss them. I miss touching. I miss going to the local grocery store. I miss visiting. Those are the basic things that keep us tied together. Those are the things that keep us going. So this in some way could be a death, um, but in another way, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to rebirth. It's a rebirth. It's a potential to really look at our priorities and figure out what's important to us. And please, please, the best we can remember those priorities and not forget, you know, six months, nine months down the line. Write down now what you're feeling so you could reflect about what you're missing being in isolation as we are. <laughs> yeah. It's the basics that matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a website where people can learn more about you? Yes, it is SuzanneCaprell.com. S-U-Z-A-N-N-E. K-A-P-R-A-L dot com. It's my life story. My TED Talk will be up there. Everything that that we talked about today, it's all there. Great. Suzanne, thank you so much. This was remarkable. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for not only coming on and uh, talking to us, but thank you so much for the beautiful work that you're doing, all the lives that you're impacting, all the children that you're there for when they need you most. Thank you. It's truly beautiful work. And thank you. And I just I'm I can't wait to see the uh, the continued work that you do with uh, with your mission. Please come to the farm. Thank you. Yeah, I will. Yeah, definitely. Sounds sounds like a wonderful time. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching Catacomb Social Club. For updates and new episodes, subscribe right now real quick at catacombsocialclub.com. Remember that we all must die one day. So talk to your loved ones now about your post-life plans for your body. Learn more about creative and beneficial post-life plans at restingground.org. I'm your host, Jeremy, signing off. Thank you and memento mori.